This is Ari Koretsky and welcome to Jews You Should Know, introducing the broader community to interesting and inspiring Jewish men and women making a difference in our world. Some are already famous, some not yet so, but each is a Jew you should know. And we are back with another fabulous episode of Jews You Should Know. This week, a really interesting woman, a doctor, and someone who is really passionate about saving lives and preventing so much suffering and difficulty that can come about simply through lack of knowledge, lack of awareness. And that is specifically in the area of genetic testing, where Dr. Elizabeth Atkin Kramer has done a great deal of work as a longtime OBGYN in preventative medicine, BCRA, genetic mutation, testing, and now in founding a nonprofit organization called Yodea, which means knowledge, directly addressing this particular need. We had a wonderful conversation a couple of months ago. Of course, we're all during the coronavirus pandemic thinking a lot about our health. And I think this is an interesting and helpful conversation, not specifically about the COVID pandemic, but about ways we can protect our health and the health of our offspring for years to come. Meanwhile, please follow us on social media at Jews You Should Know, spelled out fully on Instagram and Facebook. Jews You Should Know with the letter U on Twitter. Subscribe wherever you're listening, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Overcast, Stitcher, wherever it may be. Spread the word. Let all of your friends and family know about this podcast, especially those who may be looking for some meaningful content during the coronavirus pandemic and beyond. Feel free to leave comments, suggestions by emailing JewsYouShouldKnow at gmail.com. And now to our conversation with Dr. And the founder of Yodea, Elizabeth Etkin Kramer. And we are here with longtime physician, OBGYN, and advocate champion for genetic testing, Dr. Elizabeth Etkin Kramer, otherwise known as Liz, to her friends. How are you? Fine, thank you. Thank God. How are you? Wonderful. Doing great. Doing great. And Liz, Dr. Atkin Kramer here, runs an amazing organization called Yodea, which means knowledge Mm -hmm. or to know, and we'll learn all about that as we get to know her. But uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, where are you from, and uh, tell us about your upbringing. So I grew up um, on Long Island in New York in a little little area called the Five Towns, Woodmere to be exact. <laughs> Which of the five? And uh, yeah, exactly uh, Woodmere, the, okay. the Woodmere. And I grew up. It was interesting because my my dad was a band leader. He did everybody's bar mitzvahs and weddings, so he was the local celebrity in in the Five Towns. <laughs> cool. Um, um, but um, and then I moved to Florida. And when I, when, I, when I was in New York, um, we belonged to a synagogue that was a very reformed synagogue. My grandfather called it the church. Huh. But um, we, <laughs> we it, it was, this is back in the 70s. Um, now it's much more uh, observant. It's a much more observant uh, area. But in, when I was 15, I moved to Florida, um, where I currently reside. 
Um, Which part of Florida did you move to? I, we moved to Hollywood, Florida, and I lived, I lived there for, for a handful of years, and then I said, I'm going to move, move out of here, and I went to college up at Brandeis in um, Massachusetts, huh. which was a wonderful, wonderful four years, um, and I was actually, interestingly enough, a history major. I had nothing to do with the sciences. I took the basic sciences just to get me to um, basically get into medical school at the time. Um, and I was a history, I was a European history major, which was a very strong department at Brandeis at the time. Still but is, you, had an, you had intended to go to medical school though afterwards, or you didn't think about that? No, I, I started, um, when I was a junior in college saying, well, maybe I'll, I'll try to go to medical school. So I, I put my toe in the water very slowly. I started to take just one class and then another class and then another class. And I finished the requirements at night. I, I for a year after, I, I moved to Manhattan for a year, and I worked for a doctor um, while I was applying, and I got in. Um, I got into uh, University of Florida in Gainesville, Florida, which was about as non-New York and non-Brandeis as they come at the time. Yeah. Um, it was interesting, yeah. What was Hollywood like back when you were there because... Uh, now it's really exploded in recent years in terms of its Jewish. Yeah. More, certainly it's more religious population as well. Um, what was it like when you were a teenager? When I, when I lived in Hollywood, there was a certain number of New York Jewish kids that went to public school there that hung out with each other. Um, but it was not a religious area and it wasn't, it wasn't the same thing as the five towns was where, where everybody was, was Jewish. I thought that the whole world was Jewish and everyone came over on Ellis Island. The idea that there were, there, there wasn't a hundred percent of a Jewish population around you was alien to me at the time. Um, which is pretty interesting because, because now we know. But um, at the time, I thought that everybody was, was, was liberal and Jewish. What, did, uh, what was your family's Jewish connection at that time? Did they sort of maintain that reform connection? Or Yeah, they, they did. They did. My mother was not brought up Jewish at all. My father was brought up um, ethnically Jewish. And I'm the youngest of four. Um, so... We we were very we were reformed liberal Jews on Long Island. We were we were we went to synagogue some Fridays, but mostly during High Holy Days, and we we participated in all the holidays that were traditional for reformed Jews. We did Passover. We um, we were not kosher. So, but when I went to Brandeis. There were all of the, it was really cool because there were all of these holidays that I couldn't even pronounce. And we had all these four day weekends. I said, this is really fun. <laughs> College is three days a week, four days a week. And then we took, we had all these, these long weekends off. And I learned so much more about different, um, different areas of Judaism than I had been exposed to when I, when I was growing up. I, I went to, I, tried um, kosher. I, I, I did different things than I had done previously, which I thought was pretty neat. There were a lot of different areas to explore at that time. 
Uh, yeah, I was going to ask you if Brandeis was a culture shock because it's a very different, that sort of Northeast Jewish mentality and much more affiliated kids probably, largely. And uh, my wife and I always joke, we, we have a, a funny story. We once visited Brandeis. My cousin, my first cousin went there. Uh, I don't know, maybe she, about uh-huh. 10, 15 years ago. And uh, we visited some day just to, to say hi. And we're walking around and we saw a sign around campus it said Christianity Awareness Week. <laughs> uh, That's very funny. <laughs> yeah. Only a place like Brandeis do you get that, you know. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, that was exactly. that was one of the only times I've, I've visited there, but we do have a uh, an affiliated more program at Brandeis. Um so I know oh, you do. Uh, yeah, Rabbi, Rabbi Gould is his name. I don't think he was there in your days, uh-huh. but uh No, no, yeah. no. No, it was very, when I was there, it was very, uh, very Jewish. I had the, one of the few roommates that was not Jewish, but um, we joked that, that by the time after the four years she had converted and, 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 and instead of her, her last name was Waller, but she, but she became Wallerstein by the four <laughs> years that, that was, because she, 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 by the four years were, when they were done, she understood everything about, about culture and tradition and things like that. Nice. So did you know that you wanted to stay in Florida and what was your, you know, you did your medical training in the state. Was your goal to move back and, and live there? By the, well, by the time, so I went to medical school in Gainesville and there were about 13 Jews in my class of 105, which as we know is, um, is, is quite uh, different than nowadays, but um, um, and, and the, and the Jewish students that were there were not, uh, were not particularly observant. Uh, they were not. Um, they didn't. They didn't say out loud how that they were Jewish. They were very, uh, very, very assimilated. And coming from Brandeis, then from then to New York, I felt a little bit like a fish out of water. But I actually, for the first time, started going on a regular basis to synagogue on Friday nights just to hear Hebrew, really, so that I, I felt a little bit more in touch with 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 my roots and who I am. Um, and then when I finished and I decided to go into obstetrics and gynecology, when I was choosing to do a residency, my family was down in South Florida and, and Hollywood again. So I said, I wanted to go to where they were because it felt much, much more comfortable. It was either that or New York. I was going to go back to New York, but, um, but I got in down here and I ended up staying. I met my husband and ended up staying down in South Florida. Where was he from? Uh, my husband's from South Florida. He was born and raised in Miami Beach. His father was from um, from Austria, which is now part of uh, the Ukraine. Oh, but he came over before, right after World War One. His father was older, came after right after World War One, um, and then had kids and uh, down in South Florida and stayed in South Florida. Neat. So my husband's first generation. So interesting. Where, um, yes. what inspired yes. you to want to go into, uh, the OB, OBG field? Um, OBGYN for when, when you rotate as, as a four, as a third year medical student, you, you get little, little snippets of different, uh, specialties. You get internal medicine, which is quite broad surgery, which I found interesting, but it, back in, in the late 80s, when I was in medical school, it wasn't really 
um, encouraged in Gainesville, Florida for, for Jewish girls in particular to go into um, surgery. And all the stars aligned when I went into OB, when I did my OBGYN uh, rotation. It just felt very, very comfortable to have women as patients and um, to do a lot of things in terms of prevention. Um, I felt that there was a lot of good you could do in OBGYN um, in terms of prevention. Um, and still to this day, I still feel very strongly about that. What, uh, what was your early experience? Did you go straight into some kind of a, uh, a practice? Did you want to open your own practice? Um, that's interesting because I, I did. I joined a I, – I was going to do a fellowship in maternal fetal medicine, um, and then I was going to do a fellowship in genetics. But at that time, it wasn't offered down here, and I really didn't want to, to move out of South Florida. So I went into – general OBGYN. I was hired by a reproductive endocrinologist. That's the type of doctor who basically works to get people pregnant. And um, I and another OBGYN were, were hired by him at the same time. And um, there's a rule of thumb in medicine that you don't hire two people at the same time and expect to be able to, to make a payroll. So after a year, he, we had to find other jobs. Right. So we were we were employed, yeah, employed by the hospital, but she ended up being my best, we, we became best friends. She was from New York and um, we worked together for about 10 years and then she moved to California, but we did general OBGYN um, at that time. And I, I del- was doing deliveries probably for about 10 years and decided after 10 years that um, I needed, I wanted to basically pare down more to GYN and focus more on genetics and, and focus on prevention. And that's what I, I ended up doing over time. So what does it mean when you focus on genetics as a OBGYN? I mean, you're, you're doing, is that counseling for people to, to know? Because there is a separate field of genetic counseling, right? Which is not OBGYN. So Correct. it's not even a doctor. So what, what, is, what does that mean when you're specializing in that as a physician? So I don't, I'm not board certified as uh, I didn't do a fellowship in genetics, but what happened was in the 2000s, um, I started to, to, to learn more about um, genetic mutations associated with breast and ovarian cancer. And those are, uh, in gynecology, those are our hallmark cancers. Those are the ones that, that we see most, um, if not most frequently, we see a great deal of. And we, we've learned, we know all about prevention. We, we do mammograms, we do cervical cancer screens, which includes a pap smear. Um, but for prevention in terms of genetics, what happened was over time, we learned that a large number um, not all, obviously, most cancers are sporadic, meaning not associated with a, a hereditary genetic mutation, but a large, a, a significant number, probably uh, five to 10% of, of cancers are associated with an autosomal dominant and inherited genetic mutation. And as an OBGYN, we always felt quite comfortable um, counseling patients on genetic issues and risks 
because we've done it for so many years for prenatal things. We would always talk, and especially in Ashkenazi Jewish patients, about the various types of autosomal recessive conditions that could affect their children. But now it bridged over to things that are autosomal dominant that it could actually affect them. And those are the hereditary cancer genetic mutations. So although I'm an OBGYN and I'm not a genetic counselor and I'm not a geneticist, this is something that, that came very naturally um, to, to my counseling. So I started going to a lot of the conferences and I learned a lot about uh, hereditary cancers. And not only did I learn about that the five to 10% of hereditary breast and ovarian cancer, we started to learn that in Ashkenazi Jewish women and men that you didn't even need a family history to carry a genetic mutation on a BRCA gene. And the risk of cancer in these men and women were just as high as if they had a family history. So I started to question why we're not testing all Ashkenazi Jewish men and women for these cancer mutations when we can do so much. There, there are so many guidelines that say what you should do to help prevent cancer or increase surveillance to diagnose cancer in, in these men and women. I started to say, why aren't we doing that? So I'd go to these meetings and I'd kind of corner the, the lecturer, the researcher and say, I'm not getting this. Why are we not doing it? Um, and then in 2000, well, they'd start off saying things like, well, we don't really know. Well, we don't know how to roll it out. Well, how do we get in touch with Ashkenazi Jews? So many of them are not affiliated, which is true. A lot of a lot of um, Jewish patients are not affiliated per se, but you've got to start somewhere. Yeah. Um, and and part of the issue back when I was questioning was the fact that genetic testing was so expensive. And in 2013, I approached the one lab that had the the patent on it. Um, Myriad was the one lab they had a patent, and no other labs could do BRCA testing at the time. And they, I, they were able to offer me a uh, BRCA testing for patients if they wanted to pay out of pocket for, for $500, which is not sustainable if you're, if you're trying to, to test a lot of people. There, it's, it's, it's just not going to happen. So after that, um, very good genetic labs came out and they were able to offer me genetic testing for a discounted rate. And I'm, I'm, I, I basically negotiated with these labs and I guess negotiated or I pleaded, I begged, I did whatever I needed to do to get the rate down. And they were able to give it to me for $149. So we were able, so I got a, a bunch of friends of mine with all good brain chemistries, much better than mine for certain things, for nonprofits, for for, for how, how, you, how you do this. Um, and we sat around my kitchen table and we started Yodea, which, which goal is um, hereditary cancer education in the Ashkenazi Jewish community and, and testing. Because the key thing is if you, you can educate, but unless you get people to test, 
you're not going to have an impact in terms of decreasing the risk of cancer, de decreasing the rate of cancer. So we started. So we started. And why did you feel you needed a nonprofit instead of just functioning as a physician? Um, because I wanted to be able to go to the community and do it. So I, I have... Um, I have a voice in my office and I talk to my patients in my office and we test in my office either if they have a family history or if they don't have a family history. But we needed to do something in the community for men and women who don't go to the gynecologist or don't see their primary or, or don't know about it. Um, and so that's what we started to do. We started to go where we could find a large number of Jewish men and women, and we educated them and we offered testing. So we'd go to uh, Jewish community centers, we'd go to uh, synagogues, we'd, we'd go at parlor meetings, we'd go anywhere where there were enough, enough people who wanted to listen and understand it. And, and that's what we did. So how we started you, that probably, How were you received? Yes, yeah, sorry? How were you received? Um, very well, actually. Um, very, very well. Um, and we would to the, but that's the small audience that we would speak to. So then the question is the broader audience. So in, in South Florida, for example, it, it's the third largest Ash, uh, Jewish community of which most are Ashkenazi in South Florida. It's the third largest community in, in the United States. First, New York, I believe, second to LA, and then comes in Florida. And in other communities, they're doing, they're doing community outreach and BRCA testing. Uh, in New York, they are as part of a study, in LA as part of a study, but not in South Florida. Um, and so when we got the, the local community together, it was very well received. Part of the issue was getting in the door. So sometimes getting in the door is still a little bit of, a, of a, uh, a problem. Getting to where we can get to sit down and talk to people and explain it. Um, but once we got in the door, we, we were well received and we would test. And to date, I believe we've tested um, probably between the office and the community, probably close to... Um, uh, 1,500, 1,600 Ashkenazi Jewish men and women. What do you think is, a, is there a, like a, a, an amount that's needed in terms of from a study perspective? Is there a, a threshold that you're uh, trying to reach? At, um, not really. Um, the more you test, the more validity you have. And we're going to go back and look at our results and, and try to, to um, get that message out to to kind of explain what we're doing both in the office and in the community. Uh, I don't think that we need to prove the number because the number is fairly uh, well known. It's been well published, the two and a half percent, the one in 40, regardless of family history. And the numbers that we have certainly support that. Um, I think the, what, what's interesting about what we're doing compared to um, other communities is that we're going into the community and offering talk and test at, that, at the same time. 
when we look at other studies that are doing it and, and to their, to their um, benefit, they're doing it for free. They've gotten grants, million dollars grants, and we're, we're kind of just trying to do what we're doing. Um, and, but the difference is that they're doing all their education online so you don't speak to a person and then they print out a, a requisition um, and go to the lab and have the genetic testing done at the lab. And then someone will call you back. What we're doing is we're educating on the front end. We're testing there. So we're doing it there and then. And then the post-test counseling is being done by a genetic counselor through the lab. So it's all in a medical context. And they're getting the information and the education that they, that they need, but we're allowing them to do a saliva-based test at the time that they're, that they're being educated. Because the more barriers that you put up to the actual testing, the less people are going to get tested. So how do you get out there in the community? Do you, are you just constantly sort of hustling? And, you know, what's the <laughs> process like? And do you have a team of volunteers? Like, what's the actual structure of what you do? I, that's a great question, and hustling is a great word, yes. We have a team of volunteers, we do. We have probably about um, eight or ten women and men who will go around and talk to any group. And I actually, ironically, um, some of my best people who get people tested are not doctors, are concerned community members who walk around and will sit down at dinner with friends of theirs and say, hey, did you know about this? Mm. Did you know that it's recommended now to test? Because it is. Uh, the guidelines have changed so that, that it is now recommended, although insurances are not covering it unless you have a family history. And they have been the most successful educating um, other Jews in the community about the importance of testing and the importance of knowing so you can make educated decisions about your health. And in fact, one of my board members has found three men in the community who are BRCA positive and they've tested their families and found their fans called cascade testing, testing other members of the family when you have one person who's positive. And in these three families, um, their family members are positive too. So it really does take a village, so to speak. It takes dedicated volunteers. And I'm so, so thankful that they are there to help me. I'm so appreciative. They, they give their time and their effort. Um, we get donations from individuals. We get donations from, from, um, non, from other nonprofits, and we get grants from our local federation, but they're small numbers. We don't get, I, I don't get reimbursed. The, uh, my volunteers are truly volunteers, um, but it covers the cost of the website and the printing and things like that, which I appreciate. Did you have to go into fundraising and was that something that was new for you? Oh, it, yes, and I'm horrible. I, I, my joke is that I, can't, I, I couldn't sell water in the desert. I, can't, I don't know how to fundraise. I, I would much rather, I, if my daughter had Girl Scout cookies, I would buy them all and, <laughs> and eat them because I felt like I'm a, they're quite uncomfortable about asking people for money. 
uh, despite the importance of this, I'm, I'm quite uncomfortable. So we were, we were for many, 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 many years, more years than my husband wants to admit, <laughs> we were totally self-funded because I, I felt quite uncomfortable with that. But other people have better brain chemistry for that on my board, and that's what they do, and that they, they ask. And there are, some, there are some people who are really good at social media, much better than I am, but, and we're still working on that because um, um, posting and putting on social media and things like that are, are not particularly good for an older brain. But we're, we're trying. We're trying. We learn new things every day. Do you have younger people involved to help with that? Yes, we do. We do. Um, uh, we have young women in their 30s. We have um, an, a woman who offered to give us a hand who's, who's really good at social media. So, yeah, we do. But we take volunteers as well. <laughs> I'll be happy if somebody offers to help us with that. How did you determine the name Yodea? Uh, um, well, we were looking for something um, meaningful. We were sitting around again at the kitchen table saying, well, what do you want to call us? We started off with BRCA in the community, BRCA in Ashkenazi Jews. What, what do you call yourself? And what happened was we, we figured out that we wanted something that meant to know because it's really the knowledge that's so empowering. Um, and um, Yodea, and I know it's, it's the male form of Yodea, and it's not the female. Right. Is it Yodat? Yodat, yeah. Yodat. Yodat. Um, but the idea behind that is that it, it affects both men and women because it's not a sex specific genetic mutation. The cancers are more common in, um, women, but, but it's, it's not only men and women. So we chose Yodea. I hope we, I, I've been told we chose well. <laughs> I think it's a cool name. Yeah. But really? yeah. Yeah. What, how do you interface with other genetic testing organizations because over the last couple of decades, there's been a real surge in uh, awareness about genetic issues and genetic testing in uh, definitely in the Ashkenazi community, especially when it comes to dating and marriage, um, things like uh-huh. Sharim and, and other such right. organizations. You're obviously not overlapping with them because you're doing a very different kind of test, it would seem. Is that, is that correct? Correct. Correct. So door. Uh, your Sharim, am I pronouncing that correctly? Your yeah, Sharim, yeah. Very reformed, your Sharim. So they look for um, autosomal recessive conditions like Tay-Sachs. And frankly, if you think about it, this is a little bit like Tay-Sachs in the 1970s. That's what, that's what we're looking at. That's what we're modeling it on. Tay-Sachs is not seen as frequently in Ashkenazi Jewish men and uh, uh, children, babies anymore, right. because, because of the success of that. And it started off in the Jewish community saying that we're not going to accept this. This is absolutely unacceptable that this is a higher risk in our community. And I want that to be what uh, BRCA is. I want Yodea to be, to be that, that this is not acceptable and we need to do something about it. But um, um, this is different in the sense that this is not Ashkenaz, this is not, sorry, um, autosomal recessive. This is something that actually affects a person. And there's a lot of uh, chatter about trying to do it at the same time that we do autosomal recessive disorders when somebody is trying to get pregnant. Um, the counseling is a little bit different. Um, 
but often in my office, I will do both at the same time. So I will ask them their family history. I do genetic testing for, for pregnancy reasons or pre-pregnancy reasons. And then I'll start going into the Ashkenazi Jewish and the, um, the one in 40. Um, and I've had, I've had patients. I've, I had a woman who I'd seen for many years um, and she comes to me and I, I no family history and you're not Ashkenazi. I ask them every year. Um, and she said, you know, I did um, ancestry and I found out I'm, I'm a quarter Ashkenazi. So I said, oh, you know, let's do uh, BRCA testing on you. She's pregnant and she found out she was BRCA positive just on the basis of that. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Have you ever tried to liaise with these yeah. other organizations to maybe, you know, cross pollinate or, or try to stage events together? Or yeah, we, we, we do that all the time with the Victor Center down here. There's a woman down here by the name of Debbie Wasserman who runs the Victor Center. In fact, I think she's national. Um, she's a genetic counselor. Um, and yes, we, we work together a lot. We work together. And, and it's, a, it's a nice dovetailing. Uh, it's, it's different counseling, but it's a nice dovetailing. Um, Adele Schneider, who ran the Victor Center, she's a medical geneticist out of Philly, um, has helped me a great deal as well, um, trying to figure out how to place this in the, in the community and what organizations to reach out to. Um, but we're, we're different than other organizations like Sharsheret. Um, have you heard of, uh, of Sharsheret? Uh, breast cancer awareness, correct? Exactly. So yes. So when we were starting um, Yodea, I approached them because the, again, the key thing is education and testing, because if you don't test, you're really not having as much of an impact, but they are, their role is more of, of once you've had breast cancer and education, they're not, they're, they were not comfortable taking on the arm of, of the counseling and the actual genetic testing. And I, and I firmly believe that that is an extraordinarily uh, important part of all this because you can educate all you want, but if, unless you do the testing, you're not going to have that impact on um, the risk of cancer. What do you still want to accomplish with the organization? You know, you mentioned getting it to the level of the TASACs, um, you know, eradication. Where, where do you want to go and what do you think you need to do to get there? Um, we have a lot of work. We have a lot of work. So the guidelines changed. Um, in, there are specific guidelines on who should get genetic testing for cancer genes that are put out by both the U.S. Preventative Service Task Force and National Comprehensive Cancer Network. And these are the guidelines that, that doctors tend to follow. Um, and the guidelines just changed, but the, the wording is not particularly strong enough that we feel that um, insurance companies are necessarily going to cover it without, without um, a family history. And again, in Ashkenazi Jewish men and women, over 50% of BRCA mutations occur without a family history. So we want, we want people to know this if they carry a hereditary genetic mutation before anybody in the family has cancer because we can do great things to prevent it. So we have a lot of work to do. We have to educate the community. We have to educate doctors um, and we have to go national. We have to, this is not only in South Florida. 
to educate physicians, um, it has been a little bit of a challenge for them to say things like, it's bad enough that they don't test, okay, or recommend testing, which is extraordinarily important because many men and women listen to their primary care doctors as to what they should be doing for their health. The other piece is that many of them have said to patients, why do you want to know? How will that help you? And it's very clear how it will help them because of the additional steps that you can take to prevent cancer or additional screening to diagnose cancer at an earlier stage or even medicines in women to prevent cancer. So there, there, there is obvious benefit to men and women. But we've got to educate the doctors so that they're on board, they understand the importance of this. Um, and then again, to take it where it's not only in larger communities, but it's everywhere, that everybody is aware of it nationally. And recently, actually, they changed guidelines in Israel, which is pretty exciting. Um, I got an email from a friend of mine in Israel that as of um, January 17th, the National Health Service there is recommending um, for all Ashkenazi Jewish women, only women now, but all Ashkenazi Jewish women um, are offered BRCA testing as part of their routine um, health care, and it's covered by the government. So, very cool. Do you have a lot of interface with Israeli physicians? I have, well, I have a lot of interface with the Israeli physicians who believe in the preventative medicine, um, the prevention that's associated with BRCA mutations. And in fact, we, uh, we at Yodea and um, another nonprofit called One in 40, and these other physicians who believe in, um, in population-based testing, testing because you're Ashkenazi Jewish, uh, formed this coalition called the Prevent Hereditary Cancer Coalition. And we petitioned, we actually last year petitioned the National Comprehensive Cancer Network to change their guidelines to include all Ashkenazi Jewish men and women, regardless of family history, that they should be offered BRCA testing. Um, by no means do I think that the NCCN looked at that and said, that's the reason why we're doing it. It's because of all the medical data that uh, led us to, to petition the NCCN. I think that's where they made their, their changing guidelines. Is what you're doing considered controversial at all? You mentioned that those who buy into a preventative model, is that, is that something that's under debate? Um, Population-based testing is always um, questioned. To base testing on the basis of ancestry alone has always been questioned, but until um, the guidelines changed most recently, um, many physicians would say, oh, well, we don't need to do this because the guidelines don't say that. But all of the data says to do it. All of the data says that it can be life-saving, um, and guidelines have changed now, so it's pretty, it's pretty pretty much less controversial, but um, we still get people that don't embrace it. The I, Why do you want to know? what? How does that help you? But it's very clear there are 
evidence-based guidelines what to do if you carry one of these hereditary genetic mutations. Anything else that people should know that are out there and, um, and also how can people follow you online, whatever social media presence you do have. <laughs> and how can, they, how can people <laughs> well, learn? We're more? working on that. So, and um, you can go to our website. It's called yodea.org. Uh, we have videos on the website. We have links to other websites. We have links to studies that are being done elsewhere in the country. So you, uh, you can get your genetic testing done if you're in that uh, geographical area that could be um, free if you choose to do it. Or you can, you can order a kit online and do it. You can read about it. There's all the information online. Um, we educate you. We make it easy for you. We will go um, to where you are. We're happy if you want to bring us in. Um, one of my more successful talk and tests, as we call it, was at a synagogue, an Orthodox synagogue in D.C., where we educated probably about 125 men and women. It was over Sukkot. So you got to get your Lulav and Etrov to your right, and you get to give give your spit to the left. And we, <laughs> we tested about about. Hopefully, nobody made a mistake and went to the wrong side. You know, did the wrong exactly. opposite. Exactly. People start spitting the rabbi. You know. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but it was a very well received um, um, event, um, and it, it's really quite. Um, it's really quite gratifying because it, it, these, the testing and the cancer risk reduction is so impactful. One of my patients who talked at that actual event is a woman from that area. And because she had no family history whatsoever, her story is on our website. Uh, she learned that she carried a BRCA2 mutation. And as part of her treatment to prevent ovarian cancer, we removed her tubes and ovaries. And because of that, we found a very, very early tubal cancer that had not yet invaded, which is quite unheard of, except when you remove tubes and ovaries for BRCA uh, ovarian cancer prevention. So it was really quite impactful. I wish we had done it earlier the year before, maybe we wouldn't have even had that early tubal cancer. Um, but um, it can be quite life-saving Amazing. Well, and, and sounds impactful. Like, sounds like all the work you're doing is along those lines, and it's uh, critical we have people out there championing this kind of life-saving work. So, doctor, thank you for being there for us. And thank, thank you so thank much. Thank you for being on with I us. I appreciate this. Absolutely. I appreciate all you're doing because the, we, we can have, a, a, we, we can have a, so much more of an impact the more people know about this. So I really, really appreciate your help. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, Rabbi. This is Ari Koretsky, and welcome to Jews You Should Know, introducing the broader community to interesting and inspiring Jewish men and women making a difference in our world. Some are already famous, some not yet so, but each is a Jew you should know.